Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Four, three, two, one. I told you before to be careful where you put your legs. I was only trying to be helpful. I can help myself. What are you waiting for? Come on. Come on. What are you waiting for? Come on! Come on! For seven decades, Michael Keane has been among the world's most renowned and recognisable actors. It was just what I needed, a one-inch god with a two-inch penis. The star of classics like Zulu, The Man Who Will Be King, and The Cider House Rules. It's a miracle no one was killed. But also films that brought his career to the brink of complete implosion. I made a mistake. Somehow, he has always found a way back. You're a big man, but you're in bad shape. In this epic podcast series, we will watch and review every Michael Caine movie from the greatest hits to the incredible misses. You failed to maintain your women, son. And take a deep dive into the life and work of one of the world's most recognizable film stars. His name is Michael Caine, and no one will forget his name. To understand how he is made. The Mark of Cain. Well, you all settled in? Right, we can begin. For God's sake, come in. Hello and welcome to the Mark of Cain podcast as we perform a vigorous autopsy on the filmography of Michael Cain, watching every movie from the bullseye hits to the wild misses and all the partial maimings in between. My name is Michael Foley and joining me as always is Stephen Black from the Mallow News. How are we doing? Not too bad. Glad as ever to be involved in yet another autopsy. Thankfully, I've gotten past the rookie stage of, you know, vomiting in the corner, much to the disgrace of the grizzled detective that he's been paired with. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We don't get we, we don't get lightheaded at the, at, at the side of a bad cane movie. No, man. no. I, I pretty much I'm at the stage now where I'm, I have a big ham sandwich that I'm with loads <laughs> of cheese and mayonnaise that I'm just sloppily eating over the chest cavity, kind of going, what, what do you think, Doc? <laughs> it's about the only thing. Comfort food is about the only thing that's getting us through some of these some of these movies at this stage like so the last time we were sent into action like this as we are today to watch a Robert Louis Stevenson novel turned into a movie starring Kane that was the wrong box which I think left both of us quite shaking and shaken and and like an idiot like a complete idiot right after the glory of Get Carter when we were totally spoiled by a brilliant movie I was actually looking forward to this like what kind of a fool am I like yeah, at this stage, it's pretty much, we know what's going on in this relationship. We know we've hit a purple patch. He's off the booze. He said he's not going gambling anymore. All of a sudden, after a couple of weeks, you hear beep, beep of the phone. You can see he's on the Petty Power app, just fucking placing reckless bets all over the place. All of a sudden, the bailiff's on your doorstep going, repossessing the house, missus. Yeah, I, yeah, and repossessing the career in this case. Yeah, so yeah, this is this is quite something. Right, So, so it's quite the career record, really, to... Star and two Robert Louis Stevenson adaptations. I suppose not many people can say that, I guess. But for now, we're returning to 1971 in the Scottish Highlands and Kane as a rebel on the run. So choose Heather, choose Kilts, choose shooting redcoats, choose the great actor Jack Hawkins sounding like a late career Tom Waits, choose soft featured mustachioed Kane, choose Edinburgh, choose Clutie McPherson. That reference will make a hell of a lot more sense in about 10 minutes. Choose Kane's Cockney Highland accent that actually obliged him to apologise to an entire nation. This is Kidnapped. Kidnapped. 
run, you run. And when I say hide, you hide. For our lives will be like a hunted deer. Katrina, run! This way! Will you stand with me? I'm with you. So there we go. Um, now, before we get into the movie, this is something I thought I'd never say. Stephen, tell us about your journey to Kidnapped. Well, you know me a long time. You know that honesty is is one of my core tenets. It's basically builds up my... It's, it's something I build my, my, my character on. I have to be honest in all things. So this is a disclosure as comfortable it might make me feel. I feel I owe it to the listener. You did right, you do. Uh I went to go uh, look for Kidnapped on YouTube because I'm, uh, like uh, many Scot- Scottish stereotypes, very cheap. Uh, I found what I thought was, kid- I typed in kid- Kidnapped 1971. I got my result. It was said Kidnapped Part 1. I was like, okay, this is going to be a pain in the hoop. Somebody's uploaded it in installments, whatever. Mm-hmm. Started watching the first installment. Uh, it looked awful as it went on. It was ter- It was actually one of the funniest, worst things yes. that I'd ever seen. And I was getting really excited about it. I was sending you messages and I was like, yeah. this is brilliant. You sent me one. Of a of a battle scene, this film is is set in the mid eighteenth century, so it's a battle scene with a big cannon. <laughs> it's a guy a guy gets hit at point blank range with the cannon, and he walks away limping. Walks so yeah, it's it's, it's set up. Brilliant. He's fla- this guy. This guy is flashing back. Like he's he's talking to Davy Balfour, and he's going, ah, oh, he's flashing back to this 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 big battle, and he the camera zooms in. I keep zooming. You think it's actually going to go through his skull, but he eventually transitions <laughs> to the. And he's telling him how he lost his leg because he's there. He's got a, he's got one leg and he's got one stump. So he's telling him how he's lost his leg. So you see this guy raging across the battlefield, cuts that cannon, boom. Next thing you know, your man basically grabs his groin. <laughs> this is how apparently he lost his leg. Grabs his groin and just leans up against a cannon that's next to him. I was like, oh, this is going to be fucking brilliant. However, as we get 28 minutes in at the end credits roll, I, I eventually dawns on me that what I'm actually watching is the 1970. I think 78 adaptation of the movie oh. Kidnapped. I think it was the BBC did it. I was heartbroken because I knew oh. this would never live up, never live up to the to the level of shitness that the, that this had established. Did it not cross your mind at any stage in that 28 minutes that there is a certain element missing here that is essential to this podcast series, that being Mick Kane? Well, you see, I didn't because I knew from uh, the blurb I read in his, his, uh, his autobiography that, you know, even though Kane has made the main character, actually in the book he's not. Alan, Alan Breck isn't. It's Davy Balfour. So I thought, okay, he gets kidnapped and he meets Alan Breck. So this is okay. perfectly normal for Kane not to have shown up. So, and even in the movie itself, the correct movie that we watched, I think it's a good seventeen minutes before you get a you know, we drop a you we you read drama Kane. <laughs> it is seventeen. It's exactly seventeen minutes in. I put the clock on it. Um, yeah. So but look, you you made it in the end. Um, I did. Would it, would it be fair to say? even at the outset at this point, that we are agreed that this movie is complete and total muck. Oh, it's awful. It's just boring, boring drink. Yeah. Drink from it, it, it is a, Yeah, it is a stain on the Scottish people, even though they have nothing to do with this. I think, I think there might uh, be one Scottish Scottish actor in it. I think it might be Gordon Jackson might be the only Scottish actor in it. Yeah, he's the only one who doesn't have to force a Scottish accent. It's incredible yeah. stuff. For a movie with a massive body count, right? Loads of fighting action tons of stuff going on it's as dull as be jesus like it's dragged down even the plot the plot is quite simple 
but somehow it just wraps itself around the whole film like a heavy chain and pulls it down like a dead weight to the bottom of the sea. Like. Yeah, there's a lot of dead air in this. Really, it's a lot oh. of to be tightened, tightened up considerably. There's a lot of walking and uh, walking through the, the the highlands and you know panning shots of the beautiful locks and like the lads. I think one stage we we'll go through the plot in a second, but there's one stage where McCain and we Davy Balfour are uh, walk. You know. They're trying to get to Edinburgh urgently, but they find time to stop and take in the majestic views of the lock and the heather and enough time for Kane to go on. Ah, you know, I, I, I was I much, you know, France is a beautiful place, but I was, once you're there for a few days, you start to long for the locks and the heather. Anyway, off, off we go. <laughs> I'm going to have to stop you there. That Scottish accent was far too good. That was nothing like Kane's Scottish accent. Nothing. No, I think, I think we should just go through the, the do your patented uh, summary of the movie, and then we'll we'll get into the the oh, usual yeah. gristle. <laughs> and there's a lot of gristle. Yes. So the plot of Kidnapped. Okay, as we were saying at the top, it's it's based on a Robert Louis Stevenson novel, which actually had a, a sequel called Katrina, which it draws on some elements of that as well for the movie. But anyway, it's 1746. A Davy Balfour, nearly 18 years old arrives at his uncle's house. A wee bairn! A wee bairn! Arrives at this kind of big old sort of a castle house thing to his uncle Ebenezer, uh, played by Donald Pleasance. And Ebenezer, a castle house. A castle house. You write for a fucking living. You write for a fucking living. Look. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Castle house. I'm sticking by it. It's, it's an architectural when term. The, Go look it up. Look, when look the, it up. When the, when, the, when the player kicked the round ball thing to the other player uh, yeah. on, the, on the ground pitch. Yeah, exactly. Makes total perfect sense. Castle House, look it up. It's an architectural term. They all use it. All those architecture type laddies who draw the take laddies who uh, draw the nice pictures of the houses before they're built. Castle House. Anyway, Ebenezer, his uncle, is a git, right? Now that David's dad, Ebenezer's brother, is dead, young Davy inherits the land and the gaff. So suddenly Ebenezer is kind of, you know, disenfranchised a little bit so he tries to murder him immediately upon entering the house uh but in the it's a, i'm sorry, sorry oh no we'll get to it no, no it's, it's such it's, a dumb it's, film it's so stupid it's such it's a so dumb dumb. film i'm sorry I'm no, gonna, keep, i'm gonna keep going laughing, laughing. i'm gonna no, be laughing you, a lot right. during this no no you're, you're only human you're only I human am. it's I okay am. so yeah. anyway so having failed to murder him immediately ebenezer manages to um fool young davy into being kidnapped and sold into slavery in the Carolinas. So he's off on a ship uh, to the Carolinas and en route they hit a small boat. And when I say en route, I think it's the equivalent like of, you know, uh, leaving, leaving, a, sorry, I, I think it's the equivalent of basically going about a mile out to sea. They hit a small boat carrying Alan Brick, enter Kane, 17 minutes in as we said, a Scottish Stuart rebel on the run since the defeat of Bonnie Prince Charlie's forces at Culloden, the famous Battle of Culloden. So together they escape when the crew try and steal Breck's kind of money money bag or whatever, he's a pile of guineas anyway, the ship crashes and off they go anyway. So they both need to get back to Edinburgh. Uh, and they have various adventures en route. They eventually arrive at, at a house, the house of Stuart. James Stuart being uh, Breck's cousin. I think Iggy Pop, late stage Iggy Pop, was was the kind of look I think James Stuart was, 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 was going for. Um, I would have thought it's kind of more, uh, one of the lads goes to the local that you know... In his 50s or 60s, still smokes a lot of weed. Yes. At owns owns a couple of greyhounds. Yeah, late career Iggy Pop. Yeah. So Redcoats Fair. are combing the countryside um, 
after the Battle of Culloden. And one of these patrols, one of these red coat patrols, is headed by a chap called Mungo Campbell. It's a great name. And he's performing a kind of jock genocide across the country. Actually, that's a great jo- Glaswegian punk name. Jockocide. Jockocide. Jock genocide. Yeah, that's, that's a punk Glaswegian name, if ever there was. But jockocide yeah. also works quite well. Anyway, Mungo arrives at, uh, at the Stuart House um, to arrest James or something. Anyway, he's killed when, when he's there. James is injured, even though it's fairly clear he's, he's completely shot in the face. Like, But anyway, he survives getting shot in the face uh, and he gets t- taken into custody. But in the meantime, uh, Breck and Davy Balfour and James's daughter Katrina have escaped, assuming that James is dead, like the rest of us. So uh, Balfour tries to get, when they realise, when they get to Edinburgh eventually and they realise that, that Stuart has been arrested, uh, Davy Balfour tries to get Stuart off the hook by testifying to the Lord Advocate, like the Attorney General, basically, that he saw that Stuart didn't do it. Um, the Lord Advocate, who's played by Trevor Howard, who I, I'm looking at going, why, why, is, why is he even there? I'm presuming he's still pickled by about 18 months or a year or whatever it was in Dingle and Kerry making Ryan's daughter. But he's he tries to play Balfour a bit, refuses to take his evidence and uh, attempts to catch Breck uh, by following Balfour. Fails. Uh, but everyone is generally fairly settled that Stuart will hang, even though he didn't commit the crime, including his daughter. But there's this whole undercurrent of post-Culloden battle fatigue about whether Scotland should rise again. And Breck thinks they should. James Stuart says no. And it's kind of set up as Stuart, the pragmatist versus the militant Breck, the Scottish rebel romantic, who thinks nothing of endangering a generation of Scots to get a fairly futile crack at the English again. So in a way, he's no worse than the bloodthirsty English, you see, imposing their ways and so on and so forth. At the very end of the film, Katrina visits Breck. Katrina, by the way, who's fallen for Davy Balfour some, somewhere along the way. That just happens. She visits Breck, who's preparing to slip away to France to start another rebellion, uh, and convinces him, or tries to convince him, to reconsider uh, this other rebellion. He gives a nice soliloquy about Heather and Locks and so on. And when Katrina leaves, something somewhere flicks in his head about the slaughter at Culloden, and he's imagining all this coming back, you know, all these horrible memories from the battle. And it turns out that he also killed Mungo Campbell. Um, so the film ends with Breck handing himself in at the castle and presumably freeing James Stewart as a result, even though we don't get to see this because the film ends. My guess personally is that they all get hanged. But that's it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's it. That's essentially the movie. Yeah. So where to start? Can we can we start, first of all, so with the kind of in media res Beginning with we Davy, you have the kind of the aftermath of the the battle scene a little bit like the start of Zulu. Yeah, and they then you're, at that. By the way, yeah. the, this, the opening scene is this battle of Culloden, and I mean, you know, and as you know, I like I love a good battle scene. They they had me at hello there, or or maybe Ben, or the Heather, the oh the Heather and the Locks, the Lock Heather, the Heather Locklear, oh <laughs> yeah. Me. So yeah, after after this kind of general nonsense, uh, we go straight to the House of Shaw's. Apologies up front. Yes, we'd be we're aware of the hypocrisy of slagging Scottish accents and at the same time, you know, demonstrating mm. terrible Scottish accents ourselves. Mm, but you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. Rise of the the House of, uh, of Shaw's. Uh, there's wee Davy Balfour banging the door. Up bangs uh, Donald Pleasance, looking for all the world like the principal of a Christian brother school. <laughs> Pointing the gun at him. First of all, I want to set this up in terms of Robert Louis Stevenson's uh, uh, plagiarism. He's okay. got a character called called Ebenezer, mm-hmm. who's a miser. Yes, and, and this is years. Uh, this is like forty years after Christmas Carol has been published. So you know, fucking 
Dickens' estate should have done him. Uh, I, I, I kind of do feel a little bit now as though you're you're invading from a different podcast, the Mark of Stevenson going through every yeah. single Robert Louis Stevenson book and <laughs> picking through it. So so be careful how you be careful where you go next. I'm just that's the only point they make it. It's it's you know it's a bit on the nose to call your miserly character Ebenezer even it you is. know forty years forty years after. Anyway, as you say, it, the hilarious like you're not even five minutes in the movie. He's like he's long lost nephews in there. Told him that his brother has died. He's a he's a feared that uh, he's going to lose everything that he has. You're, Jesus Christ! <laughs> you're so fucking stupid. The old fella kind of goes, "I'm away to bed." Away to bed. Do you remember what, do you remember what he asks for? He asks for a candle. Oh, because it's going to be dark going up the stairs. Yeah, plus it's going, oh, it's a candle you want, is it? Maybe you'd be thinking I made the candles. Maybe you think I'm a wee candle man. Maybe you think I made entirely of the fat of animals. Maybe you want to set me a head on fire. Maybe you want to set me head on fire. Do you want to see me slowly melt as you warm yourself off my fat, rich body? Away to you, to your murder room. Maybe you think I'm in the pocket of big wick. Eh, maybe you think I'm suppressing the truth about the electric light. Maybe that's what you think, is it? That I'm taking backhanders from the candle lobby. I wait you up that dodgy flight of stairs and get Wiley coyote off the top of it, eh? So and he sends him on a Looney Tunes debt, like <laughs> off he goes up the it's... stairs, opens the door to nowhere and nearly falls out like fucking Daffy Duck. Oh, it's fantastic. He's hanging on to the handle. It's just, and actually, we don't, I mean, it's almost impossible to get back into the room. We don't see him getting no. back in through. He's just, all we see is he's back down the bottom of the stairs. He's, he's got Ebenezer by the lapels. Uh, oh, give me my medicine. Oh, my medicine. Oh, I'm a bad man. You should trust me enough, though, to leave uh, to let me go back to bed and we'll talk about it in the morning. And it gets fucking, ki- even the kidnapping scene is, is just ridiculous. Down comes Jack Hawkins. Uh, looking all the world uh, like John Kenny from Dumb Believables, uh, that'll that'll really play to the, the international <laughs> really audience that we've gathered yeah, at this stage. <laughs> come, come, comes in and tells him, you know, oh, I need you to come down to my ship, um, um, so you can see all the wonderful wealth you've inherited. And Davy goes, oh, that's great. Turns around and he gets fucking blackjack from behind. And that's yeah. it. That's the kid that That's it. It's as oh simple and as far as that. Yeah. Can I just can I just say by the way before we go too far away from that moment, you're your Ebenezer Scottish accent was just, that was like Mrs. Doubtfire from the 18th century. Fantastic. Yeah, a, a, a true Scot. Abs- like, I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. And veteran, and, and, and veteran of the Battle of Corudden, or whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> Corudden. Um, yeah, so, yes, so so he's kidnapped. He's, he's, he's on the boat, and of course, this is where Cain arrives in with his accent. Kane's accent. Now, where do we go from here? Oh like Kane, it, Kane is on the record for apologising to the people of Scotland for his Scottish accent, and I think he's right to. Yes. There, again, we call back to his quote saying, doing accents is, is incredibly difficult because it takes up 50% of your brain. Mm-hmm. I don't think he could be accused of using 50% of his brain in this accent. It goes from a very bad Scottish to Cockney and then into Russian. In one breath, incredible, like, and he fucking la- and he la- he laughs in Cockney. Yeah, he does. He does. It's and somehow it sounds to me at times like a mid-Atlantic co- Scottish accent. It's like it kind of morphs into something like his. Um, I'll I'll find the quote here that he's his his apology because it is on the record. He's he's his, his apology. So his apology, he says, I've had to adapt my Scots accent to make it sound easy and natural. Uh, it won't fool the Scots. 
But I trust they forgive me. After all, it's my job to make sure Alan Brick is easily understood by audiences all over the world. He'll, he'll be understood all right, but no one will know he's Scottish. But the, 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 what he's inferring here is that he has this imperfect, impenetrable yeah. Scottish accent that were he to be parachuted in to the, the into Grobels in, in, uh, or Gorbals, whatever it is, in Glasgow, that he would be, he, he, he they, they wouldn't know, they wouldn't be able to tell him apart from a local. They're like, exactly. Who is exactly. this ginger? Who is this ginger man who's just been parachuted into into our city? All I know is that he's one of us. My God, what a true Scot! You had no right to take it. He won it fair and square. The money was his. I saw no sense in starving all the way to Edinburgh. Oh, to hell with your belly! You shamed me in front of Clooney McPherson. That's what you did. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! So he's he's actually toning it down. He's toning it what down for for a, for a, for a global audience, which, by the way, he thinks is going to be reached by this film. This is one of the reasons he gives for doing this film. Because I mean, you're halfway through it, going, "What are you doing?" And the reason is he he reckoned that that uh, kidnapped would reach a far bigger audience than his other films to date. That kind of blows my mind. What did this makes you think that it is a global reach? I don't think even the Scottish people would be interested in this movie. It's because essentially what it pushes is an anti-Scottish independence uh, agenda. Oh, totally. And and from the point of view of accents, this is their, I mean, in in a kind of a, in a 21st century Irish kind of context, this is their wild mountain time. Like, you know, this is like, these are the worst, this is the worst accents you've ever heard. I did my usual, like, like Harry Sundown, Sundown, which kind of feels like. Harry Sundown. Harry Sundown. What about you? Let's, let's, let's not get too wrapped up in bad accents. Um, Hurry Sundown feels like a like a lifetime ago, but you might recall. I, after a while, I started taking notes of things he couldn't say in a deep South accent. I kind of did the same with this. Now I'm not going to bore you with all of them, but just just a sprinkling of them. Uh, did you have any objection to that? Not a hope. I prefer a clear view in front of me. Nah, you're not very lucky with your relatives, are you? That actually sounds like he's in Emmerdale when he says that. Yeah. The word days. Nah. My personal favourite, yeah, and I can't even, I, I, I can't not say this in a Cockney accent. You better watch what you're saying, Charlie. It's like being back in the Italian job when he says it. Oh, and another one. I knew you'd gone for my breakfast. Not gone, gone, not, not a chance. I'm going to ask you to rank them. At this point, no, right? We have, he has done Deep South, German. I'm going to put posh English in there because it's not his natural accent and Scottish. Give me your top one to four, as in one number one being the worst and fourth being the least bad. You can go from four up to one. We'll do a top of the pop style. Okay, going from four, I would go um, posh, posh English. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that's probably his best accent. That, yeah. That's what he's on. Next, I would go for uh, the German accent that he yes. did for uh, the, last, the Last Valley. Then I would go for this one, the Scottish, not Scottish, the Nottish uh, mm. Accent in uh, kidnapped. Uh, coming in at number one, uh, kids. Uh, Hurry, so known is still appalling. It's still, oh, that's the best benchmark. No- benchmark for or, or the low bar for for movie accents. Absolutely. Still, I, what year was that? Sixty six or sixty seven? I can't even remember now. This, yeah. Anyway, still there. Four years at number one, and I doubt if it's going to be topped. Yeah. Andrew Martin is the author of a, of, a, of a book called "Going to the Pictures: A History of Scottish Cinema." It came out about twenty years ago. And he very obligingly did uh, a list of the worst Scottish accents ever committed to celluloid. Um, his, his line about Kane's accent uh, is that it's like the Highland Mist. 
it came and went, although it went more than it came, which I think is a very nice way of putting it. Fantastic way of putting it. He put, he put Kane's accent as the second worst Scottish accent ever committed to screen. Would you like to guess at number one? What's the time uh, timeline here? What's the oh, up until what year? This guy said up till two thousand and one, the early nineties. Is it uh, Mel Gibson and Braveheart? You are absolutely spot on, bang on, right. Number one worst yeah. accent, according to Andrew Martin, who is clearly the expert on these matters, up to two thousand two thousand and one. Mel Gibson's accent as William Wallace and Braveheart. He says Wallace sounds like a Melbourne traffic warden chewing a mouthful of wood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very fair, I think. He also, by the way, you'd be interested in this as a Wicker Man type of uh, fan person. He has Edward Woodward in there as well, kind of fairly high up on the up in the rankings as well. It's not a great accent by Edward. It's not a great accent, yeah. But anyway, that's that's McCain's is is is. It's another one for the Pantheon. It really is. Really, it really is. Goodbye, Miss Stewart. Goodbye, David. Perhaps we'll meet again. Bye. I'm in the man I'm in the I'm in the I'm in the I mean, his performance isn't bad. I mean, he's he is giving us some, you know, he's 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 you know he's trying here. You know, there's he, he there's a kind of oh, eyes filling up, bringing brimming up with tears at the thought of all the wee laddies that he lost uh, over the years. Uh, looking at the locks, looking at the heather, looking at the heather locklear uh, again. Just yeah, that's he, fine. I fair play to him, but again, so this he's coming off get Carter like again. Yeah. What was he thinking? I've you know. Going on to this, going, oh, this is a great... Do you know what international audiences really want? Is They really want, uh, basically, a movie that should have been called The Truth-Telling Adventures of Wee Davy Balfour, the the lad from the lowlands who couldn't lie. That's the fucking <laughs> gist of this movie. Yeah. Like, the fucking... Uh, Kane, on paper, is the, is the star here, but it's still kind of Davy Balfour's journey here. But all it is is a fucking wet-eyed sop fucking milksop who just fucking trudges his way like a fucking yeah shortbread Bilbo Baggins across the fucking highlands and lowlands and oh, just ref- and refuses to tell a lie because my father told me you don't lie and you don't gamble off ah, fuck off Davy. see Mrs. Doubtfire has come back to us again yeah like I mean it's yeah. it, it's like I felt I didn't feel sympathy for Ken because he's now making these decisions clearly you know this is a choice he made mm. right yeah I cannot stress how much we loved Get Carter. And I cannot stress how much we loved his performance in Get Carter. And then you come to this and it's, he's playing opposite a completely limp lettuce leaf of a character played by Lawrence Douglas, who it's just got awful stuff. And like Jack Hawkins, God bless him. He's just, he's just not at it at this stage. If he's, he's, you know, he's at the end of his career. He's not at it. Trevor Howard is fine as the Lord. Advocate. He's fine. Um, Gordon Jackson, you know, he just plays at being guard. He's like a slightly more hyperactive version of himself in The Great Escape with the Scottish accent. Fine, not a bother. I've, you're right. He gives it a good college try. 
But yeah. like, and considering the fact that he wasn't even fucking paid for this, that's another really interesting thing about this. This is the one movie that Kane does not speak about hardly at all because he didn't get paid for it. In fact, in his own words, I never got paid for it. So I refuse to discuss it. I'm a professional. And if I don't get paid, I don't talk about it. They made it when they didn't have the money to make it. I got a small percentage just so they would be able to release it to get at least some money back on it. It was an absolute and utter disaster from beginning to end. He's described the film in another autobiography of his as a dud, which is correct. Yep. And I, I like, I kind of, he's, he really, he tries. He, every scene he's in, he brings it up a bit, but it's, it's just so pathetically it's really you're fighting yeah you're fighting was the, I thought the thing with this was is that he he did get paid but he relinquished his fee in order to get the money uh, get, you know to yeah, give them the money yeah. to get the, the that was it. That, that, exactly he was he, they had they were broke so yeah. he, he waived his fee initially to get them get yep. the movie made but he never actually got he never got any money back on it and you know it's just um you can see it. You can see it. The movie just plods along, plods along. Who are we talking about here? I mentioned um, Clooney, Clooty McPherson at the top. He's uh, he, Clooney, to me. Clooney McPherson. To me, he was like, yeah. I mean, look, I leave it to you. You, you, you tell us about Clooney McPherson. Clooney McPherson is a character, the a rebel. I, I think they meet during the movie and they spend the night in his cave along with his friends. But the performance <laughs> that was very erotic. I have to say, it's sort of, and would have made for a far more interesting movie. Uh, but it's. It's a bizarre, like again, going back to accents and perform. It's an accent and performance. It's a decision by the actor to basically put in what what we were we were for, uh, calling the Scott Bot three thousand. Yeah, I would talk like this. And now, would you like to be playing at the cards? I do love the gambling. Please don't insult my proud Scottish heritage. Running low on porridge. Porridge. <laughs> porridge levels are low. Heather. 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 Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It reminded it, 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 it struck me a little bit as also there was a touch of Transylvania in there bizarrely. So it was a touch of Count MacDracula as well. Yeah, yeah, it was just weird, incredible. Weird. And in the middle of all this, of course, you have Wee Davy Balfour. He had a big problem with gambling, and again, why did they make this part of the movie? He's a whole thing about gambling, and of course, Clooney is appalled at this. It's, it's not that it's not like fuck. It was uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, or like a Presbyterian, or something that was really anti-gambling, or a Quaker, or something. And this is something that they really wanted to get through in his literature, or something. I have no I no idea because it's such a bizarre, bizarre choice. I don't care. They had the opportunity to cut <laughs> that bit out if that was in 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 the book. It's like yeah. what the, why do we why, well, why Lawrence, are we Lawrence, about gambling? Lawrence Douglas does a reverse cane. He starts out in movies, and in, his, I think his next gig is uh, a cameo on Dixon and Doc Green. Oh yeah, he the, casual, the casualty of its day. He was in the Oneidan line, I think, for a long number of years as well, which is a very yeah. popular uh, period drama uh, series on the BBC as well. So, I mean, I, he had a career, but I mean, in this, it's just a god awful performance and it's a god awful everything. You know, it's, and the same, and this, uh, you could uh, you, you you refer to it during your plot summary there that uh, you know there's a there is a kind of a, a love angle or with, between him and uh, Katrina that you know like there's a kind of uh, you know of. They, they fall in love, you know, through, but there's Jesus Christ. You see more sexual chemistry between a fucking microwave and a sweeping brush, you know, they're just because <laughs> Jesus, God bless Davey. You cannot, you would never understand why anyone would fall in love with him. I think his father probably just died of boredom. Uh, oh God. Oh no, Davey. If we could just oh. put the pillow over my, over my face and just press as much on it, Davey, because God, I'll be honest with you. I cannot fucking stand you no more. You're so boring. Yeah. Touch of, touch of Billy Connolly, then I'll kind of, Billy Doubtfire, I think that 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 time. I actually think his dad faked his own death just to just to get him out of the house. 
Yeah, they should, they should have cut it some stage to your man in the French Riviera, just an arm around a, a couple of girls. Kind of. <laughs> rebellion! What rebellion! Oh, rebellion. <laughs> I mean, that's, more, that's more Billy Connolly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, one last question for you. Unless, I mean, by all means, if there's other things you want to touch on. I just want to refer quickly to, to Mungo Campbell. Just, just oh, yes. For, uh, uh, Cherry Richards, the swordsman in Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's, that's, <gasps> all, that's, all, that's all I wanted to have on the record here. I never, I never caught that. Yeah, there you go. There's your, there's your fucking fact now. For wow, you. you've just blown yeah. my mind. So he's this, this, when you did a swordsman, he's the guy who's doing all the fancy dancing in the marketplace. And uh, kind of diarrhea ridden uh, Harrison Ford makes the editorial decision to shoot him rather than engage in a sword fight. One of, one of, one of the greatest film anecdotes I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so sick. He's like, I'm not doing, I'm not doing this big whole sword thing. I'm just going to turn around and shoot him. And it's like one of the best business. Wow. So he's Mungo. He's Mungo. Wow. Yeah. Mungo. Mongo and Blazing Saddles, isn't it? Not Mongo. As I said, I, one last question for you. Kane and his equestrian adventures, like there's just basically only really kind of maybe one or two scenes with him apparently on a horse. What I noticed actually in this film actually is he looks very tall in this. Whereas when he's getting on the horse, again, it's that classic kind of stuntman thing. He's not that tall on the horse. I'm presuming it's not Kane on the horse. What did you think? I'm assuming, I'm assuming it's not Kane on the horse either, yeah. I think even key to one of the scenes is like he lets Wee Davy uh, ride the horse while he holds rather romantically uh, on behind him. Actually, there's more chemistry between Wee Davy and Alan Breck in this than there is between him and Katrina. That oh, would have been a more interesting film. Listen, the only the, the only romance in this is the long lingering looks from Kane to young Davy because Kane actually I think he's quite soft featured in this. Quite got that early seventies porn star moustache going on as well. And also then, obviously, his love affair with the locks and the heather and so on. There's a piece at the very end, actually. We don't want to dwell on this now, but there's a piece at the end uh, where he's about to um, have this flashback to Culloden and, and all this, and he's looking across the locks, and he just starts twitching around the place like he's having a nervous reaction to something he's just eaten. It's like he's, he's, he's ha- his head just starts to kind of jerk about the place looking across, you know? It's PTSD. He's displaying uh, the symptoms of PTSD as he's about to flash back to the horrific moments that have shaped the man that he's become. Wow, wow, maybe that's Probably. a nod to v- maybe maybe that's a nod to Vietnam. I'm gonna stop there now. Um yes, nothing much else to say here, apart from the fact that Kane gave up smoking in nineteen seventy one, the same year as kidnapped. Do Good you know him. this story? Do you know the story? I do, but I mean I'll let you tell it. Ah, thanks. In fairness, you've completely blown me out of the water with your uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark swordsman stroke Mungo Campbell connection story. So this is this is really just trotting in after that. But yeah, he was at a he was at a party in Mayfair. Uh, in 1971, this is around the time he met Shakira as well. So there's a lot of changes going on in his life in terms of uh, in terms of his his kind of parenting and so on and so forth. But he was a man who smoked a lot of cigarettes. He was standing anyway by the by the fireplace chatting to some guy, and uh, he was just finishing one cigarette and lighting the next one with the butt of the one he was just finishing. When he felt someone take the cigarette packet from his pocket and throw it on the fire, and he looked back and it was. Who was it? But Tony Curtis. Actually, the more I think about this, this is a complete classic Kane anecdote, isn't it? It starts. It's a crack of shit. Yeah, it's a crack of shit. <laughs> well, he's told it a couple of times, so I don't know. Uh, turns around, goes, "What the hell are you doing?" He doesn't know Tony Curtis uh, at this way. He's never met him before. Tony Curtis gives him this big long spiel about uh, the dangers of smoking. So you're going to kill yourself if if you can if you carry on like an idiot like this. So um, Kane is so taken by this uh, clinical kind of explanation of the dangers of smoking that he never smokes again. But he does take up cigars. <laughs> and at that point, he so he, he's smoking cigars. And then at some point later on in, in his life, he meets Yul Brynner. And uh, 
he lights up a cigar and offers one to you and says, now you're, you says, now you're grand. I've got uh, lung cancer. I'm going to die in two months, which is a bit of a kind of a bit of a mood killer. Um, so Kane stubs out the cigar and you says, no, no, you're grand. It's too late for me. Type thing. But it, it forces. Uh, I just like to say it's just kind of make a very awkward situation there. I think Yul Brynner really should have gone, well, I don't want to make him feel awkward. I've only got two months left. I might as well take the cigar. What harm is it going to do? Listen, we can't we, we, we can't judge decisions in, in that in that scenario, but that was certainly an option open to Yule, I would agree with you. Yeah. But he gave up he gave up the old cigars anyway for a while after that. Then he went back on him. Then in 2003, <laughs> this is such a classic Kane anecdote. It's a, it's a three-parter across about four decades. <laughs> um, he sees he sees Hurricane Higgins, Alex Hurricane Higgins, a great snooker player, uh, on TV with a little voice with a little voice box thing to help him speak suffering from 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 the ravages of cancer it looks terrible and decides you know what i'm stopping smoking entirely so from 1971 up to 2003 it took him that long to give up the fags and the cigars but fair play he got there in the end fair play michael yeah and learned and learned a couple of life lessons along the way as in every single cane anecdote we have ever told so Marks for Kane in this one again very difficult it's one of these kind of we're, we're coming across this an awful lot now crap film but Kane kind of lifting things when he's on screen. But but how much do you give? How how much do you give to a guy who shouldn't be there in the first place? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like you're talking a movie, I never watched. I never watched this again. Uh, no. I would never recommend anyone to watch it. If I was to recommend anything, I'd recommend people go and uh, put keep put kidnapped <laughs> 1971 into YouTube and just watch the opening episode of that, and you'd be far more entertained in 28 minutes than you would be watching this in one hour and 47 minutes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, Kane. I'll be just generously six, six Kanes out of ten. It's, you know? it's a very generous six. Like I mean, I, I was looking back over some of the ones we've given him six before, and and I mean they're better, they're better movies than this, and they're probably. But you're right. I mean, he gives it, he gives he he gives it whatever he's willing to give, and uh, he lifts the show whenever he's in it, despite the accent. Like if he'd actually done a good accent, it probably might, might have even got. It would have been a very solid six if he'd done a decent accent. The accent just so got off. Let's let's say six. So, moving on. That's nineteen seventy one. Out of the way. I mean, I mean, God. I mean, if you want to, if you want to take a year of contrast, I mean, we got the last valley and kidnapped on one side, and get Carter on the other side. I mean, what? I mean, what does anything else capture the career of Kane more than that? I think probably yes. It would come to the. <laughs> You're probably right. Well, next up, as we move into nineteen seventy two and away from the Highlands, back to London for a movie called Z and Co. You got what you wanted, didn't you? Well, I was drunk and out of my senses. Also known as X, Y and Z with Elizabeth Taylor. Obscure? Yep. British film again? Yep. Lesbian love triangle? Yep. So let's see what's going on with that one. So yeah, looking forward to Z and Co with about as much energy as I can muster at this stage given, given kidnapped. Thanks very much, McCain. As usual, if you have any questions uh, for us regarding Z and Co, first of all, obviously you'd have to watch that because otherwise you'd be, you know, like taking a shot in the dark. So yeah, go away, watch Z and Co, and hit us up on at Mark of Kane Two on Twitter if you have any questions, and we will talk to you next time. Yep. See ya. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe. Uh, maybe leave a comment. Only nice ones, though. Mean comments will make Alfie cry, and no one wants to see that. The Mark of Kane podcast is written, researched, and presented by Stephen Black and Michael Foley and edited by Andrew Foley music is composed by Stephen Black if you'd like to get in touch you'll find us on Twitter at, at Mallow News and at Marco Kane 2 and if you enjoyed this episode you'll find all the rest wherever you get your podcasts Marco Kane is a Mallow News 2 Cubes production see you next time come on come on